0: So I'm going to teach you on something to start off today, and it's going to be a little bit difficult because I'm going to use a term that is something that you've probably never seen before. And I'd show a picture of it, but it might be frightening to the people of Southwest Florida who've never seen one. It's this thing that, that occurs other places in the world, and it's called a hill, all right? Now I know it's strange to think of, but it's this place where, where the, the dirt and the land starts to go up and up, and upwards. And so the closest thing that we really have to one around here is probably one of the bridges, like the Edison Bridge. It's a bridge that here in southwest Florida is, it has 55 feet of clearance for a boat to go under it. And around here, it's one of the the places that you will see People, I don't know why they do it, but they make a conscious decision to go out and rather than just run somewhere where it's flat and reasonable enough to run, if you can consider running reasonable, (laughs) but they determine within their head that I would like to make it harder and run up a hill. And much like your parents, when they go on that run, they have to go up a hill both ways. Like, you know, going to school, it was much harder back when your parents were older, up, you know, through the snow, through the, the storm, uphill both ways. When you run this, it's about a mile run across this bridge, and you have to run up the hill twice. And I, I know that people who run, they enjoy it, and, you know, it, it's, it's like an addiction. You get used to it, and you probably need counseling to get over it. Um, but there, there's something to be said about the strength that they build up to be able to do that. I am encouraged by the people that I see running across, you know, the Edison Bridge. And I'm like, you know that there's cars, you don't have to do that. But I'm like, at the same time, you've developed the strength and the commitment, the willingness to get out on a hot Florida day. I mean, I see people out there running that bridge at like one o'clock in the afternoon. And I'm like, you're not right, but you are strong. Um, <laughs> and they're committed to it. They're committed. And it's amazing how we have this strength to do things that are so much harder than what other people are doing. We, we have the ability to commit to figuring out how to make something happen, and we can make it happen. And other people will look on and they'll say, well, I just wouldn't have the strength to do that. And the reality is, the reason you don't have the strength to do that is because you haven't even committed to try. And in our series, we're going through this series, if it's your first week with us, and we're looking at this model that helps us understand relational health, and this is a model that was created by Dr. John Van Epp, who's a, he's a church planter, he's a church pastor, he has written quite a few books and he teaches at colleges and he teaches this model around the world that helps people better understand their relationships. And he kind of encapsulated that in his book about how to avoid falling in love with a jerk, which is what it's titled. That's not my own thing, but, but it starts off and to just give a little bit of background before we, we get into this. Um, Drew is disappeared. Haley, could you just move the camera so the people online can kind of see, see what's going on as I move over here? Um, Thank you. Oh, here they come. Hi, Facebook and YouTube. So uh, first week we talked about knowing that, that when you get into a relationship, what you can't do is you can't go to the end of the scale and start there. That is unhealthy. It gets you hurt. It gets them hurt. It creates all kinds of issues. And so from a biblical foundation of how we see the world, the first thing that you have to do is you have to get to know the person. You you have to get to know who they are, how they are, spend time actually interacting with them and that will help you develop trust. And many of us have asked someone to trust them above the level that we know them and alarms went off in our head because we said, this is not good. I don't know you. I can't give you my account number. I don't care if you're a prince in Nigeria. I can't trust you enough because I don't know you, right? We understand that. And in the same way, rely. We don't need to be relying on someone until we have seen that we can trust them and know them. And what he teaches is that whatever is to the right should be always lower than the left in a healthy relationship. That how much I know someone should be higher than how much I trust them, how much I rely on them, and how committed I am to them. And that that a healthy relationship moves in that way. And over the past couple weeks, we've studied know, trust, rely, and today we're looking at commit. And I want to give you two biblical pictures of God's commitment towards us, towards his people, and then one very practical instruction that's written of how do we live this out? How does this happen? And so as we begin looking at this, we're we're just going to kind of talk about the hill because there's a feeling if you've ever been on a walk, been on a run with someone and you were anticipating flat and then all of a sudden you hit a hill, there's a part of you that begins to say, should we just turn around? When things get harder than what you anticipated, there's always this bell that goes off In your mind of saying, this is getting more difficult than what I think it should be. Should I just turn around? Should I run from it? Should I get out of it? Because I feel like this should be easy and now it's getting difficult. And in our relationships, we have these times where it's like, I thought, you know, when I was with this person, everything was always so easy. It was so happy. Everything was so good. We never argued. And now we spent a couple months together and I realized that they are wrong about some things that I am right about but they won't be persuaded. And you begin to feel like, okay, there's a hill in this relationship. Do I get out? Do I run from it? Or do I figure out how to get over it? And so I want to give you a, a couple examples of just how, how God has handled commitment. And one of the first places that, that I thought was appropriate for us to look at was on the night that Jesus was betrayed. Because this set off a whole, as you study it and you experience it, if you've ever watched The Passion of the Christ, it gives you a good illustration. Because when you watch it and you see it, it brings out all the the emotions. that don't always appear when you just read about what Jesus went through. Because what he went through was terrible. It was difficult. And there there was this voice that went off in my head of, couldn't there have been an easier way? Why, Why did Jesus have to go through all of this for us? And in fact, on the night that he was betrayed, as they came to take Jesus in the garden, there was an alarm that went off in the apostle Peter's mind that said, this isn't gonna happen and I have a sword and I can stop it from happening. I'm not gonna let Jesus go through what they would put him through. And Peter begins to fight them off and Jesus stops him and he corrects him. And in Matthew 26, verse 30, Jesus speaks to Peter and says, don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us. And he would send them instantly. And starting with Jesus, there's this reality that when things are about to get difficult, he never ran from the situation because it was in line with his goal, his his mission that was ahead of him. Jesus endured a lot. And he said, if I wanted an easy way out, if I wanted to stop them, I could. I could call and my father would answer and I would be freed from all of this pain. But there was a hill ahead of him, a hill that he carried the cross up in verse verse 17. It says, carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull. There they crucified him and with two others, one on each side, Jesus in the middle. Jesus went up the hill for us. And when we begin to look at the level of commitment, the level of love, because at any point in that, at any point that he was being mocked, at any point that he was being beaten, at any point where he's being nailed to the cross, Jesus could have said, this is too hard. This is too difficult. This is too much. And so first of all, the model of commitment that God showed to us of how he loves us is that to the point of death, he loves you that he will walk up the hill. He will walk, walk up the hill to crucifixion to demonstrate his love, to pay for the sin that you owed. That that is the level of commitment that God has for you. And, and I'm gonna tell you, the level of commitment that God has for you is way bigger than the level of commitment that we have in relationships. And it should be because his love is perfect. But I start there because when we talk about the end goal of a relationship, a marriage, The picture, the parameters, the the illustration that God continually uses from Old Testament to New for us to better understand his love is that he compares his love to us like a marriage. Because when we look at Jesus' unfailing love for us, that he wouldn't take the easy way out. In Ephesians 5, where we see the Apostle Paul writing and says, husbands, love your wives the way that Christ loved the church. When you understand how Christ loved the church, there's a part of you that goes, I am supposed to be committed to that woman like that? Even, Even when she's wrong and I'm right. I mean, in the book of Hosea in the Old Testament, God used marriage as an illustration of his love again. And he told the prophet, take yourself a wife of unfaithfulness. And he did, and he said, this is a picture of how Israel has been unfaithful to me. And the picture that we see of God's commitment for you, God's commitment for the church, is that even when you are faithless, he is faithful. And so husbands, especially hear me on this. The love that God instructs you, the commitment that God instructs you to have for the wife that he has given you, knows no bounds the way that Christ loved the church. And so unmarried people hear this and know this, men, this is who you are called to be when you find a wife one day, that you are to love her the way that Christ loved the church. And women, this is what you look for in a man. You find a man who understands that my mission is to love you the way that Jesus loved the church that that someone who understands when things get difficult I'm going to walk up the hills the way that Jesus did. I'm not going to take the easy way out. I'm going to follow his example that when things get difficult, I'm going to stand in my spot. The the men's group that gets together on Wednesday morning and study we've been studying the New Testament and we were just this week talking about how it's amazing through all of the epistles, it's just this preparation for difficulty, this preparation for suffering which is a major blowback for any concept that we have that the ideal life of if I'm a Christian, things are always going to be easy. Things are going to always be smooth. You don't find that in scripture. You continually find this preparation and this call, be committed for the storms. Because when you stand strong in your faith, God will enable you to walk across those waves. He will enable you to weather those storms. You will be anchored in a position. You will be standing on a foundation that is unmovable. But if we're, not, if we're not committed, if we're not committed to be ready for when things get difficult and we get scared and we begin to question, God, why are you allowing this to be tough? Man, read through the scriptures and find that God always walks his people through difficult times so that they can reach the mountaintops you want an amazing marriage, you want a marriage that is filled with love and passion and joy and adventure, the mountaintops are reached by walking up the hills. And so we we have to be committed. And this is the thing, that, that if commitment isn't here, when things get difficult, we'll question everything that we know. But this is what we find that when commitment raises up in the way that it should and then stuff gets hard and we begin to question do we know oh, that one just fell apart when trust completely falls apart we'll put that back when they all fall down commitment has this gravity to pull it back up that says is this thing within us that says I'm so committed to this that that even if I feel like right now I don't know trust or can rely on this other person that I have because of my history with them that brought commitment right in up in the right way. It will slowly have a gravitational pull of pulling things back. It will give us the strength to be able to move through the difficult times. And so commitment plays an important factor in our relationship. It, it'll overrides the ones behind it for a little while, but commitment has to be raised up in the proper way. It can't go before no. It can't go before trust. It can't go before rely, but it will work its way up behind it. And commitment is what, it's what pulls us through those difficult times. Because in relationships, there's difficult times even before you get married. Things can get more difficult once marriage is part of the equation. That's just the reality of how it is. But before marriage, you want to do a good job of picking the spouse that you're going to be married to. Because when you get to that point where you say, I'm fully committed for all of time, um, we, we've we seen walking down the aisle together, it, it opens up a whole new world, but I came across quite a few stories when I looked of people who walked down the aisle by themselves, like that day where they were ready to commit their life and then the other person didn't show up. Yeah, I mean, I hear that. I'm like, oh, that, that's got to be rough on the heart. At the same time, I, I get and I understand that there's probably part of you that's like, well, I'm glad that it was today and not tomorrow <laughs> that, that they figured it out. Because that's a whole different different thing to walk through. Um, I don't know if people share these stories so much online because they're it's healing for them, or if they're just attention seeking, or if maybe just because we click, it kind of encourages them. One guy shared the story about his sister was getting married to his best friend. Yeah, fifteen. He was the best man in the wedding. Fifteen minutes before um, the groom to be said, I need to go use the restroom, and he's like, okay, went to use the restroom, and then he sat there for a second. He's like, with. The restrooms are that way, but he went that way. Um, They didn't hear from him for a few days. Eventually, he called his parents to say, I'm in Europe. I'm not going to come home. (laughs) Um, That's one of those things. Wasn't ready for the commitment. Bolted. Uh, Another one, the, the groom called the wedding off the morning of because he decided to finally come clean that he couldn't get married because he was already married to someone else. Yeah, that's that. That's a problem. Had a couple kids. Couldn't get married because of that. Um, I, I feel terrible for people who had to walk through that, but I want to tell you, one of the ways that you get to that point is you skipped over. If someone can be married and you start to trust them and you start to rely on them and you commit to them before you know them, that's how those things happen. And before you single people get down the aisle, i 'm going to tell you, if you are committed to them and then you discover a whole bunch of things that you never knew about them, it's going to hurt. it's going to be difficult the The experience of walking down the aisle it's it's something that I, I believe our terminology comes from you know the church aisles. we kind of created that phrase, but in scripture, there, there's that time of covenant that God used in other times too. And it wasn't the same kind of aisle. Uh, you wouldn't necessarily want to bring a white dress down this aisle. In Genesis 15, there was this time where God made a covenant with Abraham. And Abraham was asking God, how can I know that these things that you're telling me, these blessings that you say that you're going to give me, how do I know that they're going to actually happen? And in this day, this is called a cutting covenant that, that happens in Genesis 15. And th- th- this was common in their culture, and if you don't understand the, the, the commonness of it and the meaning of it, then then you'll miss what, what what God's saying here. And so God used this this common thing in the day, and he and Abraham said, "How do I know that you'll be good to your word?" And so God kind of said, "I'm going to make the deal the way that you understand. Go go get nine livestock animals and a couple birds, and I want you to sacrifice them. And what they would do is they would cut the animals for for this." covenant in half and they would create an aisle way. And so there's 18 halves of animals lined up with an aisle way. All right. Yeah. And so, you know, your white wedding dress, not something that you want to really walk down. It's not not the photo op we look for on Instagram these days for, for a covenant time. And so God asked him to set this up. And what would happen is once it was set up, the two people who are making a covenant would walk through it together and it would mean, I'm making a deal that if I don't hold up my part of this bargain, I will get cut in half the same way these animals are. That's a pretty bold statement. But here's the thing, what happened in verse 12 of chapter 15 of Genesis is that God caused Abraham in the midst of this covenant being made to fall asleep. Like he put him into a dark sleep and it says that there was, a, there was a fear that came over him as well. And then in verse 17, Abraham saw th- th- this vision of fire and smoke go down the aisle to make the covenant without him. And it was God saying, these promises that I make to you, they're not dependent upon you fulfilling any terms. God knew, and at this point, you guys might recognize, Abram became Abraham later. At this point, he was Abram. And God was doing work in his life. And Abram, he would make mistakes. He would lie to people. He'd lie about who his wife was. He would have failings. But God's promise to him was always good. His covenant was always true. And the results of God's promises were not dependent upon who Abram was, but who God was. And this is the standard of commitment that God set in how he related to his people. That my promises, they're not going to depend on your your shoulders. They're not going to depend on your strength. I'm going to fulfill what I've said I'm going to do no matter what you do. And you might get to receive the blessing of walking with me through the fulfillment of what I said will happen. Or you can choose to walk away from me and miss out on that blessing. But God's church is going to rise up whether or not you're a part of it. Whether or not you commit to a local body. I love if you're watching with us online, but if you're somewhere else in the world, you need to find a church in your city to belong and be a part of. It's great if you take some encouragement from this word today, but you are called to be part of a body. And God is gonna work promises out through his church as they gather in different places throughout Southwest Florida and throughout the world. And you need to be a part of that. Because if not, you're going to miss out on tremendous blessings because his blessings will come to fruition here on earth. And I hope you get to be a part of it. And so God set this aisle up with Abram and walked down it to show his faithfulness. Abram was asleep during the covenant. It, it, it was all what God was going to do. And so God's showing his faithfulness. And for me, this is, this is also just a good note within our relationships. Like, God says, I'm doing 100% of what I can do. And I don't need you to do a thing. I'm going to fulfill what I'm supposed to do, which is also a good model for marriage. Because your calling and your responsibility is not dependent upon their attitude of the day. Your words and your choice to walk with integrity should never depend on another man or a woman. It should depend on your relationship with your heavenly father. He is going to be good to do what he says he'll do. And you need to be trustworthy enough and committed enough to do what you're called to do. And so when things get difficult, when they're not doing their 50%, so you don't want to do your 50%, I want to go ahead and correct you. You're not called to do your 50%. You're called to give 100%, 100% of the time. This is unmarried people. This is why it's so important that The the, instruction in 2 Corinthians 6, not to be unequally yoked in your faith, that the person that you marry should have a similar faith because for you to say, I'm going to serve you the way that Christ served the church, you need them to be able to look back and say, you know, I'm going to love you the way that God has called me to love and respect you. Even when you may not completely deserve it, I'm gonna do it because I know that God is part of the equation. And if you don't have the other half that's giving their full 100%, you're gonna feel trampled upon for years upon years. And so you have to have someone else who's coming in and saying, I'm gonna give my 100% all of the time. Because a team that's working together is so much stronger than one individual who's working on their own. I think one of the great illustrations of this is seen, you know, kind of following the the illustration in 2 Corinthians 6 of not being unequally yoked, it's seen in livestock, it's seen in horses. That a, bel- a Belgian horse can pull 8,000 pounds in competition by itself. And when you put two of them together, common logic would say, well, they should be able to pull at least 16,000 together. That's not how it works. It's not 24,000, it's 32,000. 32,000 pounds that they can pull when they're teamed with one other horse. The power of having a couple that says, we are living for God and we're gonna do it his way. And it's not gonna depend on if you earn that kind of love and affection from me today, you're gonna get it all the time. So when you trip and stumble, when it feels like we're working up a hill together, I'm still gonna put forth my max effort because God deserves that from me, even when you don't. God deserves to be honored in my relationship and because of my commitment to him, my commitment to you will always stay high. And this is where our culture is hurting so bad because it's like, hey, what my spouse doesn't see doesn't hurt them. If I'm out of town and they'll never know, then who's it hurt? And the commitment seems like it's just how committed am I to them when it needs to be how committed am I to the Lord? And this is what you want in a marriage. Someone who says, I will cling tightly to you at all times because as I cling tightly to Jesus, he shows me how to love you even better. And the two things are interconnected. And so we 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 have to understand it's 100% us all the way in. And then the last thing in 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13 for just a moment, but in verse 12, that's the chapter that I keep kind of putting in front of you guys, that the church is a body, many parts, they all have to work together. Otherwise, the whole thing suffers. We all have to be engaged in what we're called to do within our local church. And then in verse 14, it gets to the edification of the church, the use of these gifts to, to encourage us and get us moving, get us going in, in how they're supposed to be. And in between those two chapters is the love chapter mean it's the love chapter, like everybody reads this chapter at weddings. It's such a romantic you know lo- love is greater than all things, and it is, but it's not a wedding chapter, it's a church chapter right after the body is many parts working together, you get to this definition of love, which i'd love I-, I would. I can't say love that many times in one sentence. I would really like, I would, I would enjoy going through the whole chapter because it's so good. I encourage you to read 1 Corinthians 13 if you haven't, but I want to focus in to verse seven real quick as I begin to wrap this up. Band, you guys can make your way up on the stage and that'll make me go faster to actually end closer to on time. In um, verse seven, and we can put this on the screen. It says, love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Never gives up. The type of love that you're supposed to have in a relationship, but you're also supposed to have within the other people around you at the church. You're supposed to love them in a way that says, I will never give up on you. Never loses faith. I continue to see great things ahead. Is always hopeful. I know that God is gonna turn it for your good and endures through every circumstance. No matter what is going on around us, I am going forward with you. That sounds like the love story that we want within our relationships. That's what we're called to in our friendships. It's what we're called to within our church. I will never stop trying for you. I will never stop reaching for your hand. I will never stop pushing you towards the goals that God has set in your heart. I will never stop lifting you up. That's the love. That's the commitment that we're called to. And it's not a commitment that we should arrive to lightly. We should know the other person. We should learn that we can trust and rely on the other person. But there comes a point where we commit and we say, I have covenanted with you And you are mine and I am yours for my life. And I will never give up on you. That's what we want in our relationships, but I'm gonna tell you that that should be modeled within our relationship with God as well. Saying, God, when I fail, I know that you don't give up on me. I know that you love me perfectly. I know that you see hope for me. I know that you, you are faithful even when I've been unfaithful. I see that what you did with Abraham, that you were faithful to him, and I know that you'll be faithful to me so I can walk in faith through these things ahead. I won't walk in shame. I won't walk in fear. I will walk in faith as I go ahead. And this type of love that's talked about in 1 Corinthians 13 coming out of Mother's Day, I feel like it's well-displayed within moms this is a story that's stuck with me for for a long time christina Samos, um she was a young young mom 23 years old there's a night where she was sleeping in her apartment with her 18 month old son and all of a sudden she smelled smoke she went and grabbed her son tried to get out find flames were trapping them in their apartment she's in the third story She went to the window, waited as long as she could. The flames grew close, no help was arriving. She said she didn't even think about it. She didn't consider anything. She just grabbed her son close to her chest, hugged him, gave him a kiss, told him that she loved him and she jumped. She landed on to to her back. She broke her vertebrae. Her son was uninjured. She had to crawl to safety to get further away until help arrived. And when asked about making the decision, she just said, it wasn't even a decision. It was my son. What else would I do? She just went for it. And that type of commitment, that type of love, you're first of all loved that way by your heavenly father is demonstrated by the fact that he sent his son, his one and only son, to die on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. But then that same love you were called as a follower of Christ. If that's what you call yourself, that's the type of love that you're supposed to give. And even if you've been faithless, God is faithful. and He's ready for you to start again. He will restore the relationships that maybe you've wounded over the past few months, years. He is a God of restoration. He is faithful. And when you commit to him, he's already been committed to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your unfailing love. We thank you so much that you are faithful, that you have been faithful to Abraham. You were faithful in sending your son. You are faithful to the early church. You are faithful to us now. And so we will commit our hearts to you once again. Show us where we need to improve our commitment to the people that you've given us in our church, in our household, and in our relationships. And we will walk with integrity and love because of our love for you. We are thankful that you are faithful in Jesus' name.